Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And we will read verses 14 to 16 today. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. There the word of God says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, on the basis of our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, knowing that he has passed through the heavens and that he has been received into heaven and is now at your right hand and that he is sanctifying and purifying, Lord, everything that we do so that whatever worship we offer to you, Lord, passes through him and it is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Lord, we thank you that you have provided such a high priest for the people of God. Lord, one who is like us in all things except without sin. One whose humanity is united to his divinity, who is able to serve as such a perfect mediator between God and man, and that through him we have been reconciled to you. So Lord, teach us today of how our salvation is founded and rests solely upon Christ. And Lord, how it is that everything that we do is done in him as he is ministering on our behalf before you in the true tabernacle, the one not made with human hands, but the one in the very heavens. Lord, before your throne, making us and making our worship acceptable in your sight. So Lord, teach us today that we might have even greater hope and confidence in him. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle introduced there these two offices to describe the person and work of Jesus Christ. First, the office of apostle, and then the office of high priest, right? And understanding these offices and how Jesus is the fulfillment of them for the people of God is central to the exhortation to endurance and faithfulness that is the main point of the book of Hebrews, right? The overarching theme of Hebrews is the need to endure in the faith. The Hebrew Christians are being tempted to forsake Christ and to return to a form of old covenant worship that is devoid of and apart from Jesus Christ. And the apostle is showing the folly of such actions, urging them to maintain their faith in Christ Jesus because he is the ultimate and final apostle and the ultimate and final high priest for the faithful. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. 
there, Moses is described as the apostle, the one uniquely sent by God as the revealer of God's will relating to the worship under the old covenant. All of these things were instituted under the ministry of Moses. He is this very important figure in the redemption of God's people, but he is not the central figure. He was used by God and was faithful as a servant in God's house, but there is another one who would arise, who would have more glory, more honor than Moses, whose apostleship would be greater than that exercised by Moses. Moses is described as being a member of the house of God, but Jesus is the builder of that house. Moses is a slave in the house. Jesus is the son who has been appointed over the house by God the Father, while Moses was merely this slave. Jesus is the ultimate and final revealer of the will of God. He is the one uniquely sent by God the Father to disclose his will and his worship to his people. So why would anyone reject Christ for Moses? Moses himself would have never told us to reject Christ and to prefer him. Why would one cling to the shadows of the old covenant that were established by God through his servant Moses when we can cling to the substance established by God through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ? This is what he is teaching all throughout the book of Hebrews dealing with this worship instituted by Moses in the Old Covenant and then exercised under the ministry of Aaron as the high priest. From Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 13, which we concluded last week, the apostle has been urging us to endurance in light of the fact that Jesus is the apostle of our confession. And we concluded this section last week by seeing that the apostle of our confession is also our judge with whom we have to do on the day of judgment. Therefore, we should hold fast to Christ. Now, beginning in chapter 4, verse 14, and continuing for many chapters, all the way through chapter 10, he will show that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. When the old covenant was founded during the days of Moses, Moses was the apostle by which this worship was instituted by God. God spoke to Moses. He gave all the rules and regulations for how it was to be conducted to Moses, and then Moses revealed it to the people. But Moses did not serve in the role of high priest. That role was given to Aaron, and Aaron was the one who ministered on behalf of the people, offering sacrifices for their sake. It was instituted by Moses, and it was executed by the ministry of Aaron. Well, just as the apostleship of Moses could not bring redemption to the people, so also the high priesthood of Aaron could not atone for their sins. Someone greater than Moses was needed, and someone greater than Aaron was needed as well. A greater apostle and a greater high priest. The one who is the apostle and high priest of our confession, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The apostleship of Moses and the high priesthood of Aaron were both shadows and types of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Things that are a shadow of what is to come. But the substance of them belongs to whom? It belongs to Christ, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. So beginning in 14 and all the way through chapter 10, he's dealing with this issue of the high priesthood of Christ in what he does, this ministry that he exercises on behalf of his people, as it relates 
to the worship of the Old Covenant and then the administration of the New Covenant. So let's begin today, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Here he begins by saying, therefore, right? In light of what he has previously said concerning the divine word of God, the word of God is living and active. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? The word of God penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All things are open and laid bare before His eyes, and He is the one with whom we have to do. All of us have an appointment with Jesus Christ, who is the righteous judge. And when we consider this, it should rightfully produce in us the fear of the Lord that is necessary for the living of the Christian life perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. But if we see Jesus only as our judge, and if we begin to think that we will stand before him based upon our own efforts, based upon our own righteousness, based upon our own good works or our own law keeping, then what hope is there for any of us if we stand before him based upon our own merits? Even as Christians, who want to please the Lord, we know that we have such a mixture of good and evil within us, right? As the apostle says in Romans chapter seven, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is a law that is at work in us, in us currently. We want to do right. We have these good, righteous desires that come from the spirit of God within us. But when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And where does that evil reside that lies close at hand? It resides within us. It resides in our flesh. Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. This is what is taking place in the Christian right now. And so it is easy for us to despair, to live in trepidation if we're only considering Jesus as our judge. But here we are reminded that while Jesus is judge, and while it is true that we will all stand before him, and we will all give an account to Christ, Jesus is not merely the righteous judge of his people. He also performs another role on their behalf. And what is the role that he performs for his people here? He is their faithful and merciful high priest before God. He possesses both of these roles. Our judge is also our high priest. And Jesus as our high priest makes us fit to stand before Jesus, who is our judge. For as high priest over the people of God, Jesus is the one who sanctifies his people. He makes them fit to enter into the kingdom of God. He offers sacrifices on their behalf for their sins. He purifies them of all unrighteousness. He intercedes for us. He is our mediator between God so that everything necessary to bring us to God, to take away all of our sins, all of this is performed by virtue of the ministry of Jesus Christ as high priest over the household of faith, over the people of God, over his church. And this serves as a good reminder of how we need all of the scriptures, right? The necessity of holding Scripture in harmony together, 
especially when it comes to our understanding of Christ. If we teach only the love of Christ through the neglect of his righteousness and justice, then we will tend toward a carefree Christianity, toward a licentious, loose-living Christianity. But if we teach only the righteousness and justice of Christ to the neglect of his love, of his mercy, of his gentleness toward his people, then we will tend toward harshness to some form of legalistic law-keeping. But when we hold these two together in perfect harmony, as the apostle is doing here, he speaks of Jesus as judge in one breath, and then in the very next breath, he speaks of him as our high priest. And when we hold these things together in perfect harmony, in perfect balance together in the Christian life, seeing him as both our righteous judge, which is essential to our hating of sin, to our pursuing of righteousness, to being diligent to watch over our own souls, to producing the fear of God in us. So we need to focus on those things. But also when we are reminded that he is our faithful, merciful high priest, it keeps us from despairing. It keeps us from relying upon our own works. It gives us hope and comfort in this life, for it reminds us that our salvation from start to finish is not dependent on anything that we do, but it is dependent solely upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our standing before God is based upon His ministry on our behalf. So here, having just spoken of Christ the Judge, He now turns to Christ the High Priest. And this is what he is taken up with for the major part of the book of Hebrews. Here he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest. Since we have. Now the question is, who is the we? Who has this great high priest? Well, he says we do. And the we here are Christians. The elect, the church, the believers. We Christians have a great high priest. Christ possesses this role and he performs this ministry of high priest for us, for our benefit, on our behalf. He does not do this for all men. He only does it for his people, for his children, for his church, so that we have a unique claim to Christ. He's doing this for us, but he's not doing it for other men. What other religion has a high priest like we do? What other religion has a high priest over the household of God who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, pagans, whatever. All religions, they all have their holy men, their shamans. They all have their priests who represent the people to their false gods, who lead the people to worship their false gods. They have their many priests, but they do not have a priest such as we do. They do not have a great high priest such as the church of Jesus Christ. For Christ is high priest only for his people, only for his church, his body, only for the true Israel of God. Just as it was in the old covenant, Aaron the high priest did not offer sacrifices and gifts. He did not perform the role and ministry of high priest for the Egyptians. He didn't do it for the Assyrians. He didn't do it for the Babylonians. He didn't do it for the Canaanites. They did not send him out as an emissary to these foreign nations and he go and perform this role in ministry on their behalf. Now he would do it for them, but only if they converted 
to Judaism. Only if they were proselytes to the true religion and that they attached themselves with the people of Israel. Aaron performed this role only for the children of Israel. And so it stands today as well. The Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the atheists, the agnostics, the pagans, they receive no benefit from Jesus the high priest because he only does this role and performs this ministry on behalf of his people. And in order for a man to have Christ as his high priest, he must turn away from his false gods, from his idols, to serve the true and living God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There, they're waiting for Jesus because they have turned from their idols to serve the living and true God who is revealed in the person of Christ. And they put their hope in Christ as high priest over the household of God, waiting for him to come and rescue us from the wrath of God. This is what Jesus does for us. He is the one who performs this ministry on behalf of the church of God. All men have Christ as their judge, but only some men have him as their high priest. And the only way we can stand before his bar of judgment, the only way that we can stand approved on the day of judgment is if he is our high priest. But if he is not our high priest, then we will be condemned on that day. So we must have Christ as our high priest. This is what he says here. Also in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, notice, he is called a great high priest. We have a great high priest. This by way of comparison. He is comparing and contrasting, making a distinction between Jesus as high priest and Aaron as high priest. Aaron, in terms of the priesthood, he wasn't the only priest in Israel but he was the high priest, meaning he was the chief priest among them. He was the one who had been set apart from the rest of the priests, and he had a higher rank and a higher honor than them. He was exalted above his brethren and was the chief priest among his people. And only to him was given this unique, special role. This task assigned to him by God on the Day of Atonement, where he would pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. Taking the blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling it there on the mercy seat. This was given to Aaron as the high priest, but not to the other priests, not to the common priest, only to him. He performed this role on behalf of the people. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 describes this role that Aaron performed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, and this is called the holy place. But the second veil 
there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. There he describes these two holy places, the holy outer area, the outer tabernacle, and then the holy of holies that was beyond that. The other priests were permitted to go into this outer tabernacle, but they were not allowed to go into the holy of holies. Only Aaron, the high priest, was allowed to enter into there and only once a year to make atonement for first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He passed beyond that veil into that place to perform this ministry on behalf of the people of God. Now this designation was originally given and held by Aaron, but then it was passed because of the necessity of death to his son Eleazar. And then it was successively passed from generation to generation among the family of Aaron. The high priest came from his family. Now, if Aaron's priesthood was able to purify the people from sins, if his priesthood was able to provide redemption and eternal salvation, if the ministry of Aaron was sufficient to take away the sins of the people, then there would not be the need for another priesthood to arise, for a greater priest to come and to do this ministry on behalf of the people. For 1,400 years, the priesthood of Aaron stood. Yet that ministry was not able to purify the people of Israel from their sins. Because is not Israel's history repeat with many infractions against God, constant turning away from God, constant judgment because of the sins of the people? The same is true of Moses. Right, If Moses' apostleship could provide the forgiveness of sin, right? if God's work and ministry among Moses was able to accomplish the redemption of his people, then there would not be the need for another prophet or another apostle like Moses to arise in order to reveal the will of God to the people. Or as we saw a couple of weeks ago in the case with Joshua. If Joshua had given the people rest, if his ministry resulted in the forgiveness of their sins, if it resulted in their eternal redemption, then there would not be the need for another Joshua to come and to give the people rest. But the person and work of Moses, the person and work of Joshua, the person and work of Aaron, none of them could atone for the sins of the people. None of them could usher the people into eternal rest with God. This is why someone greater was needed. A greater prophet than Moses, right? A greater warrior than Joshua, a greater priest than Aaron. If the sins of the people are to be atoned for, if the people are to be reconciled to God and enter into eternal rest with him, then someone else must come and bring these things about. 
they must be realized in another person. And here we're specifically talking about the role of the high priest. Sinful men cannot be reconciled to God. They cannot worship God without a high priest. From Genesis 3 till the end of the world and for all eternity, men cannot worship God without a mediator. We must have a high priest who can represent us to God. And not any high priest will do. This high priest must be spotless. He must be without sin. He must be pure. And in this one person, there must be united full deity and full humanity in the one person who is the high priest. We don't need any high priest. We need a great high priest. A great high priest over the household of God. And who is this great high priest? Who is the only one in human history who meets the qualifications to serve as high priest over the people of God and to actually bring about the forgiveness of sins, their atonement, their eternal redemption, to usher them into the eternal rest of God? Only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why he calls him a great high priest. Aaron was a high priest, and this was a way of distinguishing him from his brothers, but he was not a great high priest. Only Jesus is a great high priest, and this is his way of distinguishing Jesus from Aaron, showing that while Aaron outranked the other priests, Jesus outranks Aaron. He has more glory and more honor than Aaron, just as he possessed more glory and more honor than Moses, as much more so as the builder has than the house. This is true of Christ in relationship to Aaron. His ministry is greater and is worthy of more glory and more honor than his. Aaron was a high priest, but he was not a great high priest. This is the same as there are many kings, but there is only one king of kings. There are many lords, but there is only one lord of lords. So there were many priests, and even in the history of Israel, there were many high priests, but there is only one who is the great high priest, the priest who is over and surpasses all other priests. The priest of Aaron, his priesthood was a foreshadowing of the great high priest who was to come, who is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 4 to 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse 4 says, Therefore, concerning, uh, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. One God, the Father, and only one Lord, who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is for His people, for the household of faith. He is their prophet, He is their priest, and He is their King. There is only one prophet for us, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you might say, well no, there's many prophets in the Bible. Isaiah was a prophet, Moses was a prophet, Jeremiah was a prophet, and we should listen to them, and the Bible tells us to listen to them. However, who was the one who revealed his will to those prophets? By whose spirit did they speak the words of God? 
by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He is the prophet that is the foundation for their prophecies. So there is only one true prophet by which those prophets spoke. And there is only one priest for us. And there is only one king who will lead us into victory and who will rule and reign over the household of God. Only our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we losing by having Jesus as our high priest and not going to Aaron and not going to the temple on earth? Are we Christians, are we at a disadvantage to the Jews under the old covenant because they had a temple on earth and because they had a human priesthood and they had physical animal sacrifices that they could offer? No, we lose nothing. But we have everything to gain because we have as our great high priest, Jesus Christ the Lord. And what are these Hebrew Christians losing? By no longer going to the priest from the family of Aaron, but only coming to God through the great high priest who is Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we lose in the new covenant. No advantage, no benefit, no blessing that they possessed under the old that is not transferred and magnified in the new. It is true that Aaron's priesthood was established by God, that God made a covenant with Aaron and his family, that the priesthood for Israel would come through him, but his priesthood was always and only temporary. It was for a season, for a moment of time, and it had a specific function. But that there was predicted a time of reformation that would come. And when the time of reformation came, Aaron's priesthood would be set aside and it would give way to a greater priesthood. Aaron's priesthood would decrease and someone else's would increase. This is as it says in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. 25 to 30. This is what John the Baptist understood in terms of his role given to him and his function. John 3.25 John 3.25 Therefore there arose a discussion on part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist understood that the one who possesses the bride is the bridegroom. And who is the bride but the people of God? And who is the bridegroom but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? John, in terms of his salvation, was a member of the bride. He was part of the bride of Christ. But in terms of his role, in terms of the office granted to him, he was a friend of the bridegroom who was there for the purpose of preparing the way for the coming of the bridegroom. But when the bridegroom comes, the focus shifts away from the friend. And now the focus is on who? It should be on the bridegroom. And that's why he says, he must increase and I must decrease. My ministry must pass away. I rose and I had my moment and it was necessary in the preparing of the way. 
But now that the bridegroom has come, the friend of the bridegroom steps aside and prepares the way for him, and all of the focus and light shines upon him. His star rose, it shone brightly, but then it faded. For he, Jesus, must increase, and I, John, must decrease. And as it was with John the Baptist, so it is with all of these roles, all of these offices in the Old Covenant. So it is with Aaron and his priesthood. Jesus must increase and Aaron must decrease. Jesus must increase and Moses must decrease. Jesus must increase and Joshua must decrease. He must increase and David must decrease. And would all of these men, if they lived during the time of Christ, would they be jealous? Would they be full of pride and haughtiness against Christ? Or would they gladly take a back seat and sit at his feet? They would not have revolted against Christ, but they would have rejoiced to see his day, to be there with him and for all the focus to be on Christ and for them to simply be the friend who was on the side sitting at his very feet. They were friends of the bridegroom. And as it says of David in Acts 13, 36, he served the purpose of God in his own generation. He fell asleep, was laid among his fathers, and he underwent decay. This is true of all of these men. These men, and for our purpose, specifically Aaron, he was a friend of the bridegroom. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. He fell asleep. He was laid to rest and his body underwent decay. His light shone in his person while he was alive and in his family throughout the succession of the priesthood in the old covenant. But that light given to Aaron and his family was for the purpose of pointing the people to the great high priest who was to come, to keep them in anticipation and to prepare them for the ultimate, final, supreme high priest, the great high priest, the priest of priests. And when that priest arose, when that bridegroom appeared, then it would be necessary for Aaron to decrease and for him to increase for Aaron's priesthood to be set aside and for the focus to be solely upon the substance who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The shadow is the priesthood of Aaron. The substance is the priesthood of Christ. When the substance comes, the shadow is no longer necessary. And that's why he's telling them, you need to set these things aside. You're getting hung up over this old covenant worship but these things are shadows and types. The substance belongs to Christ. Substance has The substance has come. So why are you going back to these shadows devoid of the substance who is Jesus Christ? Now, notice as well, the superiority of Christ. The superiority of Jesus as great high priest in comparison to Aaron is seen both in his person and in his ministry. He begins with the ministry as priest for God's people. Notice what he says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the high priest we have is one who has passed through the heavens. Here in the Bible, we know that there are three heavens mentioned in the Bible. The first heaven is the sky above where the birds fly. The second heaven is the expanse above the sky where the sun, moon, and stars reside. And then there is the third heaven, 
which is the highest heaven, and this is where God dwells. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verses 20, and then verse 15. We'll go from first, second, and third. So we've got to go backwards in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verse 20. says, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. So there the heavens is the sky, the place where the birds fly above. Then verse 15, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so right. The birds don't fly around the moon or the stars or the sun. But the sun, moon, and star, they dwell also in the heavens, which is the outer heavens in terms of our perception from the earth. The first heaven being the sky, the second heaven being outer space or the place where the sun, moon, and stars reside. These are the two heavens associated with the created order. And these heavens serve as a barrier between God and man. Right In the Garden of Eden, God's dwelling place was with man. But because of sin, there has been a separation between God and man. And God's throne is in heaven, not in the sky and not in outer space, but in the third heaven. In the highest heavens, this is where the throne of God is found. But where do we dwell? We dwell of the earth, right? We are here on the earth, separated from God. And we cannot make our way to God, for to do so, we would need to pass through the heavens. We would need to pass through the sky and then through the second heavens so that we could come to where God is, right? Into the very place of God's dwelling. And we think it is quite the accomplishment that we put a man on the moon, right? That that is really something. And we've even sent a rover, right? Over to Mars and that we think that's really something. But in terms of the expanse, in terms of the second heavens, how deep is that expanse? How far does it extend? Right, We've not even scratched the surface of how great and vast are the heavens that were created by God. So how can we make our way to God if it requires us passing through the heavens to come to the place where God dwells? We can never do that. Yet to come to God, this is what we must do. We must rise above this earth, rise above the sky, rise above outer space, and only then can we arrive at the highest heaven where God's presence is supremely manifested, where the dwelling place of God is said to reside. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here, the high and exalted one. He dwells in a high and a holy place. God dwells in the third heavens. This is where his presence is supremely manifested and known. No priest... Aaron or any from his line, is it ever said that they passed through the heavens? They never did this. Now they passed through the veil once a year into the Holy of Holies 
to offer sacrifices to make atonement for the sins of the people, but none of those priests ever passed through the heavens to the tabernacle that is not made by human hands, to the tabernacle that is in the highest heavens, to the high and holy place where God dwells. Did Aaron ever pass through the heavens? Did Eleazar ever pass through the heavens? Did Joshua, mentioned in Zechariah chapter 3, did he pass through the heavens? These were all men. They were all high priests. They were even good, faithful high priests of God, appointed by God, and they discharged their duty faithfully. But all of their ministry took place on earth, in the earthly tabernacle, and at best what could be said of them is that they passed through the veil into the inner room, into the Holy of Holies, there to make atonement for the sins of the people. They never passed through the heavens, only into this area. And none of them were received into the highest heavens. But who was received into the highest heavens? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our great high priest over the household of God. They all ministered on earth, and then they died, and their bodies were buried on the earth. And where are all of their bodies today? They're all still on the earth, and they are undergoing decay. Even Aaron, who would be the greatest of them, even he died, was buried, laid to rest, and has undergone decay. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20 Verses 23 to 29. Now, all of these things are making it very clear and obvious that none of these priests are able to bring atonement to the, to the people. And none of them can continue perpetually as a priest. So how can their ministry ever bring about the full, final satisfaction necessary for the removal of our sins? They are serving a purpose, but not the ultimate greatest purpose. And they were prevented by death from maintaining and continuing in this role. Numbers 20, 23 says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron will be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Even here, even here, the passing of the priesthood from Aaron to his son Eleazar, there is a reminder of his own sin, of his sin. He was prohibited from entering into the promised land and ministering there in that land because of his sin. Then it says, Take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar. So Aaron will be gathered to his people and will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And after Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar, Aaron died there on the mountaintop. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. Aaron died on the mountain, and his body there underwent decay. His soul, it says, was gathered to his people, meaning his soul went to be with the Lord, but his body remains on the earth to this very day. 
And the same happened to Eleazar. The same happened to Joshua of Zechariah chapter 3. The same happened to all of the high priests that came from the house of Aaron there during the time in the administration of the old covenant. All of them died. All of them were buried. If they were faithful, they were gathered to their people. Their soul went to be with the Lord, but their body remained here on the earth. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. This can be applied to Aaron, to Moses, to any of the righteous, the saints of the Old Testament. 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The spirit of Aaron, the spirit of Eleazar, the spirit of Joshua, they are all perfected in heaven. The spirits that are made perfect, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. But their bodies have not been made perfect. Their bodies remain on this earth. They have undergone decay and corruption, and they are still waiting for the day of resurrection. And can someone who is a mere spirit serve as a high priest over the household of God? Can these men serve in that capacity there before God as the spirits of the righteous made perfect? And this is not the case because do we consist of only a spirit? Are we not made both body and soul? We have both a body and a soul and we need a high priest who has both a body and a rational human soul. Aaron, Eleazar, Joshua, and the other faithful priests from Israel's history, their souls are in heaven, but their bodies are here. So how can they serve as a high priest over the children of God, over the household of God? They are in heaven because of the ministry performed on their behalf by the great high priest. Jesus is the only high priest who has passed through the heavens and who can minister before God on behalf of his people in the tabernacle that has not been made with human hands. And this is where we need the ministry performed on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11. It says, for when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus passed through the heavens, through the first, through the second heaven, and now he serves as our great high priest in the highest of heavens. He has been received into heaven according to Acts 
chapter 3, verse 21. It says, whom heaven must receive. When he passed through the heavens, he means he passed through the first heavens, he passed through the second heavens, and then he was received into the third heaven, the place where God's presence is known. And there he ministers in the tabernacle not made with human hands. He ministers in the tabernacle that is not of this creation, there in the very presence of God the Father. And when he passed through these things, he passed through them not merely as the Son of God, but also as the Son of Man. With His human body, He has passed through the heavens, and as both God and man, He has been received into eternal glory. He has been received into heaven, and now He is ministering in the tabernacle that is not of this creation, not only as the Son of God, but also as the Son of Man, as the God-man there in the very presence of God. This is why in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Jesus ascended into heaven visibly and bodily, physically. And his disciples saw him. They saw him go into the clouds. They saw him begin this journey of passing through the heavens. So they know that he is there in this form. And when he was with them, he ate with them. They touched him. He said, touch and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He confirmed to him to them his bodily resurrection and the union of his humanity to his divinity. He did not take on a human nature temporarily, but from his incarnation for all eternity, Jesus possesses both a divine nature and a human nature. And as the one who has ascended and passed through the heavens and who is now there at the right hand of God and who is ministering in the tabernacle, not of this creation, he performs his ministry there as both fully God and fully man. And this is necessary for our salvation. Because if our high priest is not a man, how can he represent us to God? Only one who is like us in all things, yet without sin, only he can reconcile us and bring us to God. And this is why he ascended visibly, physically, bodily, and he passed through the heavens out of their sight. Just as the high priest in the old covenant passed beyond the veil. And when he passed beyond the veil, he was out of the sight of the people, but they knew that he was there and he was performing this ministry on their behalf. So Jesus has passed out of our sight. Can we see him now with our eyes? No, he's beyond the veil. But what is he doing beyond the veil for us? Making atonement for our sins. Purifying us in the very sight of God. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says, After he said these things, he was lifted up. And while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go up into heaven. He ascended into heaven. And when he did, according to our passage, he passed through the heavens. And he ascended there as both God and man on, for our benefit on our behalf. He rose visibly, physically, bodily in this way. 
And it is this humanity of Christ that is now in heaven ministering on our behalf. And his humanity is not of a different kind than our humanity. But his humanity and our humanity are one and the same. They are united together. He is like us in every way. It says in Hebrews chapter 2. Remember Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. 14 to 18 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. We have flesh and blood, and our flesh and blood needs to be redeemed. So what did Jesus take on? He took on our flesh and blood. He was made like us in every way except without sin. He became like us in his incarnation, and then we will become like him in his glorification. And this is the way he lifts us up out of the pit and seats us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And our hope and confidence, our assurance that this is the case and that this is what will be for us, is that our human nature has been united to Christ and that we will be with him in heaven with God for all eternity. And we know that this will happen because our forerunner has gone before us. Christ is the forerunner, right? He is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead. He is the firstborn of all creation. And what is true of his humanity will be true of ours as well. He was glorified, and then he ascended and passed through the heavens. We also will be glorified, and we will also pass through the heavens, and we will be received into heaven just as he was received into heaven by virtue of his person, his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Because he is the great high priest over the house of God, who is able to bring us back to God. We could not ascend to God, so he descended to us, and then he will raise us up and seat us in these heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice as well, Hebrews 4.14, not only is his ministry superior to Aaron, but also notice who is the one who is our great high priest. He reminds us that it is Jesus, the Son of God. Right. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Here, a reminder both of his humanity and of his divinity. He is Jesus, the name that was given to him at his birth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Says she, the virgin, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the name that the parents gave him at his birth, at his incarnation, when he came into the world in human form. And it reminds us that Jesus took on a human nature, just like our human nature, that he was fully man, just as we are. But he's not merely Jesus. He's Jesus, the Son of God. He is also fully man. He is God in human flesh. It is Jesus Christ the Son of God, who is our great high priest. And in Jesus Christ, God dwelt bodily in man. As it says in John 1, 14, 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Colossians 2 verse 9, it says, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is the one who is our great high priest. He is Jesus, the Son of God, fully man and fully God in one person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He and He alone can serve as the perfect mediator between God and man because He is the only one that possesses both a divine nature and a human nature in the one person, in the one person, Jesus Christ. This is why it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. Righteous God and sinful man can be reconciled together through Jesus Christ, only through his role as mediator between God and man. He is the only one who can bring us back to God. He is the ladder upon which the angels of heaven descend to earth, and he is the ladder upon which men of the earth ascend into heaven. He is the bridge between heaven and earth because he is fully God and he is fully man, and he is this great high priest who has passed through the heavens who is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have a promise from him for our comfort and our consolation in this life, that where he is, we will be with him for all eternity. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, verse 3. He has paved the way so that we can go and be with him and with his father for all eternity in heaven. Now, in light of these glorious truths, what does this call for us? How should we respond to such a great revelation? How should we respond to the knowledge that Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, is our great high priest? Well, notice what he says at the end of verse 14. Let us then hold fast our confession. Since these things are so, then he says, hold on to your confession. Press on, never forsake Christ. Do not forsake him. Do not forsake your confession of faith in him. Right, at our conversion, we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. At our conversion, we put our complete hope and our confidence in his person and in his work for the forgiveness of sins, that he is the only way of salvation that he is the only high priest over the household of God, the only mediator that can reconcile us with God. We take him to be our great high priest. This is the confession that we make at our conversion, and this confession must remain with us throughout the entirety of our Christian life. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and we must live by grace through faith in Christ. And this faith is a confession that Jesus is our only master and Lord and that he is our high priest and that only in him are we reconciled to God. And if confession of Christ 
leads to persecution. If confession of Christ means that we are tortured, if confession of Christ means that we are threatened and that we are put to death, then hold on to that confession. Do not forsake Christ and do not deny Him in order to avoid persecution. That's what they're dealing with. And this is what all of God's children deal with throughout the time of our sojourning on this earth. We will be tempted to denounce Christ or to find some loophole to avoid persecution and mitigate our confession of faith in Him. But should we ever do this? Is this a wise course of action to deny Christ in order to avoid some temporary, momentary suffering in this life? The answer is no. Because if we deny Him, who else is going to serve as a high priest for us? Who else is going to reconcile us to God? Who else is going to be a mediator between God and us? If not Christ, then whom? There is no other way. There is no other Savior. I know not one. There is no other mediator given by God by which we can be reconciled to Him. So we must hold fast to Christ until the very end, even until the day of our death. For He and He alone is the great high priest over the household of God. He and He alone has passed through the heavens. He and He alone can reconcile us to God, and He and He alone can receive us into His heavenly kingdom. So never forsake Christ. And He gives us a vision of this in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 and 60. What is typically unseen was seen for the benefit of this man and for our benefit as well. Acts chapter 7, 54. This is Stephen, who did not deny, he did not lose his confession, but he held fast, firm until the end. And notice Acts 7, 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth in him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They, were, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against him. And having said this, he fell asleep. This is what is true for all of God's children. The heavens are there, and we cannot see the glory of God manifested in this way. And we cannot see our Lord Jesus Christ standing there in this way, visibly, physically with our eyes. But what Stephen was able to see, what God granted to him, is what is true for all of us, invisibly and spiritually. And who is the one who will receive us into heaven? It is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has gone before us, who has made the way for us, and who is the one who reconciles us to God. He is the only way. So we should put all of our hope and confidence in Him, trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins, and never let go. Hold fast to Christ, firm until the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. 
confessing, Lord, our own ineptitude, Lord, and Lord, our own weaknesses, Lord, Lord, who can even begin to fathom, Lord, the greatness of these truths, Lord, the glory, Lord, the wonder in the things that you have done, Lord, your wisdom that is seen in the person of Christ. And Lord, all that you have been doing from the very foundation of the world, Lord, even before the world was created, Lord, all of these things you foreordained for your own glory. Lord, that you would send your own son into the world, Lord, that we might live through him. Lord, that you would unite our humanity to his divinity in this one person, Jesus Christ, and that he would take the form of a servant and that he would live a perfect life. Lord, that he would be born under the law and that, Lord, he would be made like us in every way except without sin. And that he would then go and taste death on our behalf. Suffering, Lord, under the curse of the law. Lord, suffering the penalty of condemnation that was owing to us because of our many, many sins against you. And that, Lord, you would glorify him and raise him up from the dead. Showing that death no longer has any dominion or power over him. And that he has satisfied your wrath and has completely paid for all of our sins. And then, Lord, that you would raise him up and that you would cause him to pass through the heavens and be received into heaven. And that now he sits at your right hand, Lord, interceding for us, constantly performing for us this role of great high priest over the household of faith. Sanctifying and purifying everything that we do. Lord, we thank you that you have made this way of salvation, Lord, of glorification by which your people might have all of their sins forgiven. And Lord, thank you for this confidence and hope that we have. Lord, knowing that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is even now, Lord, at your right hand, who is interceding for us even this very moment, Lord, that he is there not merely as the Son of God, but he is there also as the Son of Man. And as a man, his nature is our nature. His humanity is ours, and we have been united to Him in such a way, Lord, that what you see in Him is what you see in us. Lord, thank you for this great salvation that you have granted to us. And Lord, we pray that it would be a constant source of hope, of joy, of confidence throughout the time of our sojourn. Lord, we pray as well that you would grant to us endurance, perseverance in the faith. Lord, you know our frame. Lord, you know that we are dust. Lord, you know how weak and feeble we are. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us and that you would pour out your grace and mercy upon your people today. That, Lord, on the basis of your Son, Christ, Lord, that you would give us everything that is good and needful for our salvation. And that, Lord, you would build us up into a holy dwelling place. Lord, as your people built upon the foundation, Lord, built upon the chief cornerstone, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may we hold fast, firm until the end, and, Lord, may we press on until we enter into that heavenly kingdom and until it is said of us that we have been received into heaven. So, Lord, be with us and bless us, and, Lord, remind us of our great high priest always, there ministering on our behalf. 
And Lord, may we never forsake him or look to anyone else or put any hope or confidence, Lord, in any man or especially our own feeble, futile works, but only in his work performed on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.